Welcome to the Breaking in Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. If you're part of the Breaking in Startups community on Facebook, you've probably answered the poll asking about the skill that you're most interested in acquiring. So far, we have over 300 replies for business development, and we want you to know that today, the wait is over. Today, we're interviewing Charlie Harrington, uh, who was an investment banker. I know that's the theme this week, um, but he not only went from investment banking, he went into business development and 10 x it to become a software engineer. This interview is really, really good, uh, not only because he covers the startup scene in Silicon Valley, he talks about London because, you know, Breaking the Stars is international. Um, shout out to the 50,000 listeners that we have so far in 50 countries. Um, but he also talks about why he feels that it's important to get non-technical and technical skills. And this guy's hilarious. It's funny. You're going to laugh. Um, please leave comments in the reviews. Tell your friends. And let's get it. Let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timo Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, we're sitting out here. Uh, it's a Sunday night. The weather is nice outside. Today was almost 70 degrees. We have a very special guest on the program today. Arthur, do you want to introduce the guest? Yeah, definitely. So we're speaking to Charlie Harrington, who is a software engineer at LandUp. And Charlie has a fascinating story of going from finance to business development at a startup, and uh, then eventually taking a deep dive into software engineering. Charlie, could you tell us a little bit about where you came from and uh, what you were up to before jumping into startups? Yeah, sure. Thank you guys for having me on. I work at this company, LendUp, as a software engineer, and it's just pretty awesome that I'm able to say that. And that's something that like, it's been a really long journey to get here, and I'm happy to share some of the stories and experiences I've had along the way. I grew up in New Jersey, a town called Red Bank. It's home to Jay and Silent Bob from like Clerks and Marats. And I love stuff. that movie. Oh, so good. <laughs> I actually met those guys in high school because they were filming Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and I tried to be an extra. And they told me I was going to be an extra, and Jay offered me a cigarette, and I said no because I'm a good kid. And <laughs> I took all my friends to the movie, and whatever scene I was in, they like cut out. <laughs> so it was like really disappointing. So that ended my movie career. But yeah, so I uh, grew up in Red Bank. I uh, went to school at Georgetown and I was a history major there. And why was I a history major? Because I, I love stories. I love uh, storytelling. I love to read. So it seemed like pretty natural. And like that was kind of like a fun way to do to go through college. And it was a great place to learn. But I didn't really think too hard about what I was doing after after school. And you'd go to the career center as a history major and you'd get these pieces of paper and it's like, here are the, here's the list of things you can do with a history degree. <laughs> Lawyer, museum curator. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, shit. So, uh, so I was like, all right, I don't really like museums that much. Uh, maybe I'll be a lawyer. And it was cool. So I, you know, I took the LSAT and everything and it seemed like a, you know, this is like a good path to go down. No one's going to like, your parents are going to support this decision and everything. And uh, something happened along the way where I got involved with this student-run company. I'd be happy, I can tell you guys a little bit more that, yeah, about sure. it. Yeah, it's really cool. So at Georgetown, there's this student-owned and operated nonprofit that's been around since the 70s. And they What's operate, it called? it's called The Corp, which is short for Students of Georgetown Incorporated. And it's awesome because it's like entirely run by the undergrads. And they have three grocery stores, three coffee shops. And over time, they've had DVD delivery services and all these great 
ideas that you know were successful, some failed, and it's just an awesome, fantastic business experience. And you go from being like the cashier or the coffee grinder all the way up to shift manager, all the way up to being you know the CEO or GM of the store. So that was when I got my first taste of uh, you know, the business world. And as a result, I was like, oh, what's the next thing to do? I was like, oh, I got to go uh, get a job on Wall Street. And uh, I didn't really know what that was. I just imagined you'd be, my dad was like, oh, you can work in the stock market. And <laughs> I, I have this picture of like running around with little slips of uh, stock Papers, certificates. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe I'll be doing that. I don't really know. And when I showed up there for my summer internship and I, I was placed uh, on the equity syndicate desk at Morgan Stanley. I, the only syndicate I knew about was like a crime syndicate. I was like, this is going <laughs> to be awesome. Uh, so I had no idea what I was doing. And it was, it was pretty lucky. I feel very grateful for having uh, the opportunity to work at Morgan Stanley and learn from everyone there. And I had never really even opened Excel before. So I learned a ton. Uh, I was basically like making like proto databases in Excel that first summer. Didn't know what a database was, but we would have to do these like the we need to show a chart that shows Morgan Stanley as the number one uh, IPO bank in technology. And I was like, find a way to do that. <laughs> play, with, play with the date range, play with the size of the, and there's, here's three deals that you need to like exclude. Cause we're pretty sure those three count. So I'd, I'd make these like spreadsheets that let you like change the search parameters. The league tables, huh? The league table. Yeah. Oh, we got some, uh, some veterans here. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You guys, have worked, with that. You guys have worked with league tables before? Absolutely. Oh. Are there, are there now investment bankers too? So, oh, nice. so you know. okay. <laughs> so yeah, I made league tables that summer and it was, it was compelling enough to go back. And it was great. So I, I worked at Morgan Stanley for the first three years out of college. So two more years on the equity syndicate desk. And I, I definitely recognized that this wasn't the path for me. I should probably mention before, like, you know, I am uh, consider myself like pretty creative and I was always interested in technology, played a lot of video games growing up, loved the computer, but I never made the connection that like I could be someone who could like program the computer. I don't know. Did you guys have like a similar experience? Like when did you, when did you guys recognize so that? I actually, when I was in sixth grade, for some reason, my teacher, who didn't even know how to code, we did like a simple HTML, CSS type website, and we hosted on GeoCities, which I don't think like are around anymore. But it was like my first intro, and I thought it was like really cool. And I was like, "That's awesome that I could create like a little like website and host it and have my friends visit it." What was on the website? Uh, so we had to. It was like a partnership with our English class, so we had to write like an essay on the subject. This was in sixth grade, so this was right when we came to America. So my English was terrible, so I'm sure like the is SEO this value is it still online somewhere? Some deep I dark. I actually archive? checked GeoCities. I since they're not around anymore, it's probably gonna be really hard to find. But I remember I wrote a made a essay about electric cars and kind of how like they're way better than regular like gas uh, powered vehicles. But the point of the project was to just like turn your essay into like a, into code. And I remember I like said the had like a yellow background, a few images I took from Google. <laughs> And yeah, it was. Did, you have, a, did you have a counter at the bottom for like number of hits? I may have. I don't even know if I knew how to make links back then. I just remember I just put like HTML, like body, and anyway. Um, but I, I did that, and I thought it was really cool. But I never thought of it as a computer science or engineering. I yeah. thought it was like, oh, this is a cool like project. I played around a lot with Photoshop too. So I was like, I never thought of these skills as like something that you could actually monetize. I kind of thought of them as like, oh yeah, like. I just did this little thing and hosted it, but that's engineering must be way harder. It's not for me. So uh, I didn't discover engineering until way later. But anyway, tell us a little bit more about um, kind of your experience. So you spent three years in Morgan Stanley. Well, I first want to tell you about my first website. Oh, yeah. Tell uh, us about your first website. <laughs> my, my friend Peter and I, I'd go hang out at Peter's house in, uh, after school at St. Leo's. 
And his mom really understood computers and she helped us make a website about our favorite topic, which were frogs and toads. And so we would draw these pictures of frogs and toads and make stories and she'd help us like put it together on the web. It's probably still on there somewhere, but it was uh, that was like my first taste of this. And then I tried to do it a little bit more, but, and this is probably relevant for um, folks listening, but like when I was at Morgan Stanley, I was compelled enough to like have some sort of creative outlet outside of the workday. Like I was definitely learning a ton and it was, it was really cool to be there during the financial crisis and everything and just witness that. I got tons of great stories about uh, just being there for that. And, um, but I'd come home at night and I'd want to be doing something a little bit more like creatively, you know, barking that side of my brain. And my uncle was running for town council and he asked me to make him a website because I was probably the only one in the family who like, I, I had this predilection towards computers more so than anyone else. Oh, I also worked at like the tech help desk at college. And I would, you know, I don't know if you guys know, like you've got all these like printing rooms around campus and dorms and everything. And I joined this tech desk. I was like, I'm going to learn how to like remove viruses from computers and stuff. But I, every year I would miss the sign up shift and I'd get the worst role, which was, it was called labs, which sounds cool. Now it wasn't, you basically had to walk around campus and fill the printers with paper. <laughs> and I, the first year I didn't have an iPod or anything like that. So it was just, I taught myself how to whistle. <laughs> when I was a kid, I couldn't whistle. And yeah, so that, anyway, so I, I made these websites for my uncle and it was awesome. So I was just doing like HTML, CSS. And I was really proud of myself that I didn't use like Dreamweaver or something. Yep. Yeah. I was like, you know, I wrote this. I'd be looking up jQuery code snippets to make things slide. And I was just so proud of it. And it looked good. It looked good enough that another campaign asked me to make them a website. I, wow. was like, I was like, I could make some money at it. This is great. So I just copied and pasted the entire thing and then changed the colors and I got 500 bucks for it. And that was awesome. But I think my problem was like, and this was a, I'd say this was a theme of me trying to figure out and explore coding. I didn't know where to go next. There wasn't some sort of like scaffold plan for how do you dig in? How do you move on from be just making these kind of simple websites? And I remember a big problem being that when we needed to update the content. I had no idea. Like I couldn't make a system for my uncle or the other campaign to do it. I'd have to go in and like literally change the HTML. And that kind of got it uh, exhausting after a while. So I do that. And then you'd get distracted at work. Something else would come up, something happened. Right. And then it's, I almost felt like every, I'd have to start from scratch every single time. So I guess to keep going, I did two years on that equity desk. And then I knew I wanted to get out. And I knew I wanted to get back to a company that was more like the corp more, you know, I, I wanted to be on the other side of the table. I wanted to be building something, making something new, being creative, et cetera. So how do I do that? You know, I've got a history degree, so I could be a museum curator, and, but I'm hoping I've like acquired some financial skills at this point, but not really. So I was like, maybe I'll just suck it up and do traditional corporate finance investment banking for a year. And that was rough, but I was lucky enough to get a role on the transportation infrastructure group. And so I spent the first six months like literally drowning. It was like, because I remember when I went through training two years before, when I got to like doing the real modeling stuff, I just didn't pay attention. I was like, oh, I don't have to do this. I'm just, you know, yeah, whatever. And then I was there and I'd have my first model doing a double ETC, which is like some way of raising money using the steel value of the planes. And <laughs> I had my training books out on my desk. Like, how do you build a three statement model? It was, it was bad. But I knew I was only going to do that for a year. And then I was going to take my newfound skills and go find a, a tech company. And I was living in New York City. And right around this time, like 2010, 2011, I'd say the New York City tech scene was definitely picking up. And there were like meetups and things. And I snuck out one day and dropped my paper resume off at 
three to five companies and didn't hear anything for a while. And I, I was approaching the end of my third year and I'd already talked to my parents and like kind of told them my plan. And yeah, I think we were talking about this before, like getting other people to understand when you're like at a, I was, you know, so grateful to be here and you have this like really awesome job from the outside. And then you're thinking about like jumping off. And I, I have the, I had this metaphor where it was like, I'm on this train and this train's headed towards some like minimum viable level of success in your life. And people see you on the train and you're waving it and it's just great. But I wanted to jump off. I wanted to check out what's, what's out there in the desert or whatever. But maybe I'd be scared and I'd want to go back on the train. But then, could I even get back? Maybe it's already gone. Or when I get back, I'm like two carriages back from where I was. So that was really tough to come to terms with. But I knew I was going to do it. And I knew that I didn't want to stay and do like an associate path or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'd said no. So my, my time was coming to an end. I think my last day was going to be in like July. And I don't know if you guys remember, but like folks would have these like amazing goodbye emails when they mm -hmm. leave the banks and everything. It's like, I'm going off to, you can reach me now at uh, my name at hbs.edu or I'm going to work at like Apollo or yeah. Blackstone. And yeah. I had, I had nothing. Mine was, I already had drafted my thing. It's like, it's like for my next step, I'll be watching Lord of the Rings extended edition straight through next Saturday. Let me know if you're in. So I was like, that, this is what I'm going to do. This is my next step. But then out of the blue, I got a call from the folks at Newton and Newton is this education technology company providing this big data platform for personalizing education. It was one of the, one of the resumes that I dropped and they called me and they're like, we're looking for someone who, when they use Excel, it like moves really fast. <laughs> I was like, Re what? Really? I, like, I could do that. And I came in, I met them and I was able to like the day before I left Morgan Stanley, I got the job and I was able to swap out. I, I think I kept the Lord of the Rings reference in there, but I was able to tell people like, oh, I'm going to do business development at Newton. So that nice. was, that was definitely the path like kind of the first career transition that I took. Yeah, just curious. So you made kind of all of us made a jump from like from investment banking to tech. And a lot of my, for example, personally, my family didn't really understand that move. Like just curious, like did your friends and family support you or were they kind of looking at you like, what's going on? I think I mentioned a little bit like talking to my parents and I think that generation, well, first of all, your parents are always trying to like take care of you and you know make sure you're going to be successful. And my parents uh, had the mindset that why don't you just, if you want to explore these things, why don't you stay at Morgan Stanley? You know, there's, there's so many people who would want to have this job and you're lucky enough to have it. Why don't you stay here for another 10 years? <laughs> and then 10 years later, you can go do what you want after you've made some money. And I was like, I looked across the table and I looked at my, the people who were like 10 years older and I was like, I can't be that guy. I can't <laughs> be that girl. It's just, it was so grim. And I was like, I want to be able to do this now. Right. I, and, and I felt like if, if you're going to take a risk, you should do it early in your career. And so that was how I met with that. And then I think my friends generally recognized that it wasn't really like it wasn't working out for me there. Mm -hmm. Like it, I did a fine job, but it just it wasn't for me. So tell us a little bit about uh, Newton and uh, kind of what was your position when you just started? Because uh, it sounds like you started with BD, but then what do you end up actually doing? Yeah. So I didn't again, I didn't really know what BD was, but for someone. And what is BD? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of whatever you want it to be. It, so business development, it's a it's like we would try to distinguish it from sales where sales is, in my opinion, was like selling a, you have this like process and you just work people through the process. And with BD, you're kind of figuring out the process as you go along. And it might be like striking some sort of partnership. It might be, you know, inside BD or, you know, we were like trying to figure out how to sell our platform and it was very open-ended and very fun, but I was hired to do like finance type stuff, BD stuff, and a little bit of operations. And my hope was 
I'd come in to this company, a small company at the time. I think there were under 100 employees when I joined and just learn the ropes of what it was like to run technology business. And really what I hoped was that just through osmosis, I'd pick up you know, some more engineering type skills. I didn't know at that point that I wanted to you know, continue this journey, but I knew it was a great dynamic place to be and like a place where I was going to learn and help you know, build something from nothing. And not that it was like foundational stages. And I think this was key. Like when I was leaving Morgan Stanley, in order to like legitimize it to myself and to my friends and family, I wasn't ready to make the jump to a like brand new startup, like with like two, two people or three mm-hmm. people. I wanted something that like wasn't going to go out of business yep. in six months. And thinking back, like I, maybe I was pinning that on other people, but it was, I was scared. Like I didn't want to, it was a big jump and a big step to take. And I, I wanted to make sure I was taking a calculated risk. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I went in and it was, uh, it was amazing. It was like, definitely, I remember seeing some people from Morgan Stanley two weeks later and they're like, Charlie, you're like literally glowing. You're so happy. <laughs> I was like, well, that's because we played Ultimate Frisbee yesterday for two hours on a Wednesday afternoon. We do that every week. What are you guys doing? So it, <laughs> it was very clear to me very quickly that I'd made the right move. And I think it was just some sort of like series of luck and randomness that that happened. But I think you're not going to be, you're not going to find luck unless you put yourself out there. Yeah. And, and so you talked about like wanting to pick up some engineering skills through osmosis. Did you end up being able to do that or what led you to you know, start pursuing that, that appetite? Sure. So while I was there, I had to pick up at least the engineering lingo in order to sell our product. And we were selling access to our platform, a series of APIs that would let you plug in and power third-party content through our recommendation engine. So I had to like pick it up in order to do my job. But then what was great was that there were so many really kind, funny engineers there that if you showed some level of interest, they'd be happy to like show you the ropes. And there was a little like Python reading group that my friend John organized. And then my buddy Ian and James and I decided we were going to pick up iPhone programming. And I wanted to make an iPhone app so bad. And so we bought these books, Big Nerd Ranch books on how to do that. And I think that like those books explained programming in a way that it's really started to click. That was like the first time that I kind of understood how all the pieces fit together. And like so many other things, I'd be reading those books and then something crazy would happen at work and I'd get distracted. And then I'd like a month later, two months later, I'd, I'd have to start from scratch. So it was, again, I was sort of getting nowhere. And probably about two years in, I was trying to figure out like, what's my, what's my next move here? Should I, is it time to go join one of these smaller companies? And we were working on some deals in Europe, some partnership deals. And our CEO said, you know, I think we should open an international office in London. And I, and I was like, I think I should go. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> go for it. And he, he let me go over to start the, our second office, our first international office in London. And I had never been to Europe before. So this was like That's incredible. Amazing. Yeah. And it was like one of those things, like I never could have predicted that I would have had that opportunity to go to London when I left Morgan Stanley in the first place. And it changed my life. You know, I, I'm someone, I grew up on the East Coast. I didn't leave the Eastern time zone until I was like 22 years old or something like that. And then, you know, I spent the last two years traveling all over Europe and the Middle East. I went to probably been to like 30 countries in two years. It was, I had to get extra pages stapled into my passport. (laughs) And like, again, that, that would not have happened if I had stayed in that path I was at. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And I guess, um, to emphasize like your point that when you were Morgan Stanley, it was a very structured environment, right? So you serve your three years as an analyst, you get moved to an associate who's still not client facing. And then if you do well for the next three years, then you become a vice president. And then 
it goes on and on, but it would have probably taken you 10 years to get to the point where you're actually meeting clients, selling the product, traveling, like actually fulfilling a lot of your talents and using a lot of, developing a lot of skills that, I don't know, like my friends who are still in finance are probably still at their desks (laughs) working with Excel. So can you just talk about kind of the flexibility that the startups allow you? Yeah, well, I think the analogy for me was that you're not only the analyst anymore, you're all the way up to the managing director as you're talking about, but you have to do all those roles. It's like really fluid and dynamic, but you know, you're the one who's actually selling the deal right now. You're the one who's responsible for making sure what the presentation is right. You're the one actually doing the presentation. You're the one also like booking your travel. You have to do everything. You have sure. to be scrappy. And yeah. if that's something that you want, you can completely accelerate your career by yeah. going to do that. So that, that for me was incredible. Like you're right. I, if I had stayed at Morgan Stanley, it would have been 10 years at least before they let me in front of anyone. But like, then I was running around as a, I'm a kid yeah. doing these business meetings. I just remember I had one meeting in, um, with this publishing house that had publishers in five different countries and they had all these different like personalities and things like that. And my counterpart on, um, who I'd been dealing with for the past couple of weeks, he was trying to like prep me for this presentation. There were going to be like 30 people. And this was one of my first big presentations to this company. And there were, um, all these people from like Finland and Sweden and these, and he was giving me clues into like their personality types. He's like, the folks from Finland, they're going to look bored during the meeting. That's good. You want them to look bored. These guys from Poland, they're going to ask a lot of questions. That's also good. And it was just, I was like, why am I do? how am I allowed to be doing this? This is incredible. <laughs> and so I, I probably bombed the meeting, but like, it was awesome. And I was, I was like, this is where I need to be. And again, just very grateful that I had taken that leap. Yeah. 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 So you, so you picked up the lingo, uh, you decided to go into a boot camp. So how, how did you hear about the boot camp in the first place? Like, what did you do to prepare to get into it? Oh yeah. Along with the b- before big you answer this, So you talked about jumping off the finance train and going to the startup. Yeah. It sounds like you're about to jump off another train. What is that? Like, why jump off another train again? Yeah. That's a question my dad definitely asked me. He's like, well, are you going to start your career over again? But I think what happened was I still, I wanted this, um, I was looking for something, again, more creative. I, I love designing things and I wanted to make stuff. And my dad was like, my dad's like a master craftsman. He can take a car apart and put it back together. That's I know awesome. like how to get 120 stars on Mario 64. Like I, <laughs> I was playing video games instead of like learning awesome stuff like that. But I, I loved this idea of craftsmanship and things like that. So I still wanted, I had this mission of building something and I, I wanted to make an app. So I decided that we had hack day at Newton one year. This was actually last spring. It's, it's crazy that it was only last spring. And I, and I just said, I've got an entire weekend where I'm going to make an iPhone app and I'm going to win this hack day and I'm going to engineer and build the entire thing myself. And I posted something on our uh, Trello, seeing if anyone wanted to help out. And I just wrote this. I just decided I was going to say like nerds. We called ourselves nerds with like a little K. I was like, okay, nerds, the iOS app, the fragrance, the clothing line. And I just made it really, like, really vague and weird. And you're trying to like get teammates. And then this guy... Dan, who is the head of our graphic design, reached out. He's like, I'm in. I'm like, what are you in for? I haven't even told you what I'm doing. He's like, I don't care. I want to, I want to be a part of this. So the two of us, he wired, we, I talked to him about my idea, which was because I'm working remotely. I wanted to make a flashcard style game to learn employees' names because we were growing so fast. Every time I'd come back, there'd be like 20 new faces. So it was this very like Tinder-like inter- interface where you can swipe left or right. And then if you swipe right, you can guess their name. And so that was the idea. It seemed pretty simple. Working with Dan remotely, I realized how complicated and how many things I'd have to do. And we collaborated a bit on the wireframes. 
And I just, I basically had the Big Nerd Ranch book open and I went chapter by chapter. Every time I learned a new thing about like how to pull up that little action sheet at the bottom, I'd put it in the code. I put it back into my project and it was just, it was, I could see it coming to life. And that was so awesome. And I remember there was like one problem where I was having real trouble, like randomizing the answer choices. And I just went to bed, woke up at like 3 a.m. And I, I had it. I had the idea. I went over to the computer, figured it out, and it worked perfectly. And then I knew then that that's what I wanted to be doing full time. I, I loved this idea of like your work, you're, you're puzzled by something. You know that it's not like a human problem anymore. I think in BD, you're dealing with personalities and things like that. And it was kind of refreshing to be like, oh, you know, there's something more logical about this. And I definitely, that appealed to me where you're tackling a new type of problem. And that was, I, I recognized that that was like the next challenge I wanted. But the other thing that, really reinforced it was that Dan and I decided that we wanted to make little characters and mascots for the game. And we designed these little space creatures. And uh, I came up with like a backstory about how their ship landed on earth and they forgot their memory. And that by playing the game, you'd help them remember who they were and what their important message was. And their names were like, Olive was the captain and Mr. Fig was the security guard. And Isaac was her little brother. He's this little triangle guy that snuck onto the ship and causes mischief. And they're all, and I was like, this is just so silly and fun. And I, if I could do this full time, I knew that that's like what I wanted to be doing. And I showed that I showed the game to my cousin, Avery, who's like seven, and she went nuts for the characters. And I just I was like, I want to be doing something where I feel like I'm making something fun. I'm building, I'm creating. And then I knew that like, okay, I'd spent four years in business development. It was time to you know get closer to the folks, not just selling it, but actually being the person making and building and doing that craftsmanship. And that's, that's really where I, start, I started to explore looking into like the boot camps and things. Because for me, and I love to hear your guys' perspective on it, that was that scaffold I was missing. You can go so far with online resources and you really can, you don't need to go to a boot camp. But for someone like me, it was a place where I could, it provided a framework that taught you the lessons that I didn't even know I needed to know. And that was really appealing to me about doing that. Yeah, no, that's a really good way to kind of phrase it, like a framework that taught you the lessons that you didn't know, you didn't even know that you need to, needed to know. Because I remember when I was uh, in a similar spot, kind of figuring out my next move, I took a bunch of uh, online classes, and I like I would take a class, finish it, and I was like, I don't really think I know how to code yet. So I would take another class and start from the beginning, and then I would take another, do another language. And I remember for like good two, three months, I just like took a bunch of beginner classes and. At the end, I was just like, like I'm not really. Sh- I think I understand parts of it, but it's still not clicking for me. And then I started like reading more, like on the process. And I think once I started uh, exploring the bootcamp model and of learning, it kind of appealed to me because instead of just taking isolated lessons, you're in a more structured environment, and the curriculum is really like phenomenal, and they're iterating in the c- curriculum all the time, and like a school like Hack Reactor or App Academy, and there's a lot of other great boot camps who've taught hundreds, if not thousands of students that really perfected the model and know exactly what you need to know in order to be a successful engineer. And so once I re- realized kind of the importance of that model, the next step was easy for me, just kind of figure out what you need to do to get into one of well, those boot camps. Why did you guys want to make that leap in the first place? Because it sounded like at least a similar backgrounds and things like that. What, yeah. what drove you over to do um, it? I think there were a few things. I think we were also very creative, like yourself. Like we always had some business ventures, and I did a little bit of uh, SEO and e-commerce in college. And then I was always passionate about the space, but I never thought of myself as someone who 
is the engineer because to me it was very scary and kind of intimidating title. But then once I started taking classes and kind of understanding what engineering actually is, I realized that, hey, this is nothing that I can't do. I just need to invest time in learning how to do it. Yeah. And and so why did you choose a bootcamp that you went to? There's a bunch of these bootcamps. Why did you choose to go where you went? Yeah. I was trying to figure out where to go. And I was at the time living in London and I'd lived in New York for like five years before that. So I was excited to check out a new city. I think once you go to a new place, you get this sort of like travel bug. And that was something I really didn't have before. Like we didn't really travel that much growing up. And the prospect of coming to San Francisco was really appealing to me. So I, I, I'm more or less like focused on that. But probably the other thing was Hack Reactor had a really nice reputation. And it was also teaching uh, JavaScript, full stack JavaScript, which based on my research at the time, and it was kind of uninformed research, but it seemed like that was the way to go. Whereas I think the previous generation of the initial boot camps were doing Rails and Ruby and stuff like that. So I felt like this is the right curriculum and the right city. And I just uh, was kind of lucky that I found it, but you know they had really great reviews on everything. On like, I felt like they had reviews on Yelp. I mean, they really put themselves out there. Yeah, was was big big nerd radish enough to prepare to get into the bootcamp? So not entirely. I did. I actually went to a big nerd ranch, Swift. And are they based out of Atlanta? They are based out of Atlanta. Yeah. So I went to one in a uh, Silomar, like okay. down, down um, in Monterey Bay, for like a week long mm-hmm. course, and that was good. Definitely wasn't enough. I think that. There were definitely some resources that I had to look into even to get into Hack Reactor in the first place. And they're just like the classic, like eloquent JavaScript type stuff. And, you know, digging through that, digging through You Don't Know JS was like another really thing that really great series of books that helped. And Hack Reactor was also great because they gave you, once you got in, they gave you a bunch of projects to prep you for getting there in the first place. And when I got into Hack Reactor, I quit my job at Newton, like right at literally on the day I hit my four year mark. And then moved back and hung out with my parents in New Jersey for a month and just like kind of like coded and focused and got ready for the big move out here. And yeah, I think I arrived here two days before class started. And this is kind of interesting. I, I spent the first six months in the city couch surfing, including all of Hack Reactor. So every Sunday after we'd have one day off. I mean, these things are like six days a week. I'd have to do my laundry, kind of like sleep a little bit. But then also figure out which friend I was going to be like or family member I was going to be spending time with. And I'd, I had these two giant REI duffel bags that looked like I'm like going on this like Mount Everest adventure that I just go around. With. I'm not a light packer. That's a problem. Yeah. I should have been like one bag. But I just had and I started accumulating stuff. I bought this like for Halloween. I was in Walgreens and they had this like whole section. It said hot deals. And it was like a bunch of plastic skulls. And it was a giant skull for like four dollars. Like that is a hot deal. And I was carrying it around with me. Like I should have just thrown this thing out, yeah. but like it was kind of fun. I got to explore the city and I got to, you know, spend time with friends in a way that I wouldn't have because these programs are like so they're like six days a week, 14 hours a day. Yeah, yeah. that's super interesting. Um, in terms of your experience at Hack Reactor, do you find the curriculum challenging? Uh, do you find it easy? Did you feel like you were prepared when the class started on day one? I think I was I was definitely impressed and intimidated a little bit by my cohort mates. There were people in my class that had CS degrees. And so they really understood the fundamentals of data structures and algorithms and, and things like that. So anytime, there are a few instances where you're supposed to kind of like rank yourself uh, in order to pair up appropriately. And I was always, you know, in the middle of the pack or at the front end of the pack for like the true beginners. But that's, I, I tried to approach the program with this beginner's mindset that, you know, admitting that you don't understand something is a really good place to be because you can 
if you act like you understand it, you're kind of blinded by that. So I, I just took this beginner's mindset approach and really tried to come in and embrace it. And I'd say it was definitely challenging, but it was also one of the most rewarding educational experiences I've been a part of, again, because of the folks you had to deal with. And we were talking a little bit before about when you're engineering, it's kind of more logical and things like that. But actually the challenging bit was communication and being able to like work with a partner and pair with a partner and explain why you're not understanding something or like what your method of approach is going to be to tackle this problem. I found that to be like the most fascinating, interesting piece of it. And certainly the, you know, one of the things that I've taken with me from that experience, but that was definitely something I didn't expect. I did not expect to go in there and have it be like a nonstop, like psychology experience and hack reactor is good. They, they'd have these like weekly breakout sessions where you'd have to like vent because you're basically like living with these people. Was that similar for you guys? I mean, yeah. I was just like shocked by how much personalities and things matter. And I was very lucky. I loved everyone, but like it was intense. No, totally. And I think one thing that I came in completely unexpecting was the level of communication you need to have. And it, I think the bootcamp itself, like you definitely develop hard skills, but it also challenges you on your soft skills and being able to explain these complicated concepts that you may not even grasp <laughs> in put it in words and you don't, you don't even know how to describe the problem, but it forces you because you're pairing a lot and every sprint you do, there's I think 10 or 15 sprints, you're working with another partner with your pair and you're working through problems together. And so it really develops your communication skills. So when you're doing the job search, when you're explaining your project to your future employers, you could actually describe what you're doing and explain the problems and how you tackled it because you've already kind of, <laughs> you were forced to do that beforehand. And I think just on a kind of high level basis, as a profession, I find myself in meetings talking about architecture or discussing problems, probably like at least 50% of my day is spent in meetings discussing the approach to solve the problem. And so I think there might be some misconceptions about computer scientists and like how you're by yourself coding, but some of the best engineers have incredible communication skills, at least, at least in my experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, coming at it from my background in finance, but also in like sales, business development, I think those sort of EQ type skills are very valuable on the engineering side. It, you're right. It's not, it's not just being automaton. It's like, you know, these are, you're building things for people. You're building software for people. So that's yeah, been so, really so interesting. So how did those sales and engineering, newly acquired engineering skills play into your transition from graduating a boot camp and actually landing a role? How many applications did you send out? Or <laughs> like, what was that process like? Oh man, that was, it was rough. I think that I sent out somewhere like 80 to 90 applications in a span of like four to five weeks or something like that. And tons of them, I, I know you guys probably experienced the same thing. You get these like auto reject letters right back where they've got these scanners who are like checking to see if you have experience or you have the right buzzwords. I guess I didn't have the right buzzwords for a lot of these guys, but it was tough. I went through and I had a number of on-site interviews and things like that. And every one I went to, I was definitely gaining confidence, kind of figuring things out. But these things are, they're grueling. They're four or five hours uh, whiteboarding, kind of relentless one after another. So it, it was, I'd say it was a tough, definitely a tough period. And you're also like kind of out of the cocoon or the nest of going to school every day. And you're really on your own. It's up to you. You know, the, these boot camps make really nice claims on their websites about the hiring rates and whatnot, but ultimately it's on you to figure that out. And they, they give you the tools to do it, but like you really have to sit there and focus. So for me, you know, I, I tried to follow their methodology, but I also, um, you know, I ended up in my current gig kind of as like complete stroke of random luck. How did you end up with LendUp? Yeah. All right. So I'd heard about LendUp and I applied and I got auto rejected. Mm -hmm. And then two days later- Through the HR? Yeah. 
So I went to their website and just kind of applied through the front door. I found that approach to be really good versus I, I didn't really get that much reception on AngelList, but I decently, and I'd write like a cover letter with like kind of like a funny one-liner or something in there. And so I sent something in, didn't hear from them. And then I was actually at, I was on a, uh, I was on a Bumble date and, <laughs> <laughs> and we went to this restaurant. I was actually working at a workshop cafe with my two buddies. And then I met up for this Bumble date. We went to this restaurant around the corner from here. And it's late and the restaurant's sort of like closing, but they let us sit in the bar overflow area. And as we're, as we're ordering, there's this guy next to us and he's like wearing a lend up shirt. He's got a green mohawk and he orders, he orders lobster French fries. And I was like, I was like, I got to ask this guy about these lobster French fries. This is awesome. So I start chatting with him and he's like, you want to try them? I was like, yeah. And he gives us the thing and he's like, what do you do? I was like, oh, I'm a software engineer. Because that's like what Hack Reactor tells you. You have to say that. You don't like give your whole story. You like, don't actually like believe it because you're like three months ago, I wasn't a software yeah, engineer. But I but said now, like, am I a software engineer? I don't know. But you just said it. It's like when are you, am I a historian because I'm a history major? I have no idea. So, well, you probably already told your date that you're a software engineer. So you had to yeah. roll with that story. <laughs> so, so we just start chatting with him and he was so enthusiastic about the company he worked at, LendUp. And I, I told him, I was like, I don't know if this was smart, but I was like, yeah, I applied and you guys rejected me. He's like, no, don't worry about that. And he's like, I want you to email me right now, uh, you know, your info and everything and like why you want to come to lend up and, you know, make a difference in the world. And so like I drafted the email and we kind of collaborated on it and I sent it over to him and the next day I got a call from the recruiter. So it was just so random. And I can't tell you how happy I am that I asked about those lobster French fries, man. It was just so cool. And like, I think that's one of the benefits of when you're looking for a job. I know it's tough for everyone to do this, but like being in that community and being in that city, it really is helpful because I don't, I certainly wouldn't have been able to find the great role that I'm in had I not been there and kind of like putting myself out there. Yeah, those serendipity coffee shops, you know, yeah. asking questions about, you know, things that you observe can play yeah. into. And he, yeah. he gave us the lobster fries. We got to eat the whole thing. Wow. <laughs> they were Amazing. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess it ties back to, it was a form of networking though, even though it wasn't, intentional or like conscious you reached that you talked to a stranger right yeah you saw someone with a shirt from land up so you did your research on the company before right you applied there you got and it's related to what he said about luck before a lot of people yeah. say luck is like yeah. when success meets you know preparation preparation yeah. yeah or like opportunity meets preparation and yeah. you were prepared you knew what to say you're an engineer and you're ready to go so that's awesome i think team was gonna gonna bring us into the lightning round cool yeah, so let me tell you a little bit about, about the lighting round. Uh, we're going to ask you a series of questions. We're actually looking for very applicable advice, like tactics, strategies, resources that you've used in order to learn how to code or break into startups or just life in general. So with that said, I'll hand it over to Arthur. Sure. So this is a little bit of a like out there question, but imagine you were dropped into like a new city you've never been to before. You don't know anybody, you have a laptop and $100. What would you do to kind of get to the same spot you're at? Do I have a cell phone? Uh, let's assume you have a cell phone. Okay. Yeah. So I think you almost don't need the money. I think I'd probably try to find some place with public Wi-Fi, like a library or a coffee shop, and just you know start getting online, but also like be in a place where you have the opportunity for like chance encounters and things like mm -hmm. that. And then you can like, this was kind of like in London, when we first got to London, we worked out of a hotel lobby for like the first month and a half because we didn't have an office. 
and we like slowly we'd have to like buy a coffee once every like hour and a half in order for them to, not to kick us out. So I'd probably take a similar approach here. Find somewhere comfortable you can get online, hopefully for free, and also like hopefully you know meet some people, look out for t-shirts, you know get yourself involved. There's a lot of like meetups and things you can find, but it's just like getting online. That's the key. Yeah, that's awesome. a good strategy. Yeah. And um, when you are going through this process in this coffee shop and you're you're executing on your plan of action and you hit roadblocks, you know, what is like one piece of music or a video or routine that you followed that helped you get over that frustrating situation? Yeah, I think one of the things I love is when Spotify does that year in review. And last year, like my number one most played album was the soundtrack to this movie, Amelie, which is like French movie about it's like a romance. I only I actually only just watched it like a couple weeks ago and it's awesome. But I was obsessed with the soundtrack. It's just got this like jaunty accordion type music. And I just, you know, I, I would put that on and it would just like make me happy and like take me away to some other place. And so I, I listen to that thing all the time. I was very sad to discover it's been pulled from Spotify in like the last wow. couple of days. I don't oh, know. Wow. I think I they realized that I was listening to it too much. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too, most recently during Hacker Act, I was just, I probably listened to the Hamilton soundtrack yeah. so many times. Yeah, It's like, I actually, I can't listen to it anymore. I'm like, I've, <laughs> I've over listened. I still haven't seen it, but like that definitely, I'd walk into like Hack Reactor, like an interview and, uh, you know, just be thinking about like Alexander Hamilton and like, how did like, how can I be more like Alexander Hamilton in this interview? Because <laughs> uh, I, the message of that is just so like, especially the beginning piece where he's like hungry, passionate, ready to like take on the world. That was like really appealing to me at when I was going through this process. Yeah. So I was trying to channel my inner Alex. That's awesome. That's awesome. So one other question is, um, what is the one piece of advice you would want someone to know who's considering starting on this journey? And I'll add to that. I know you broke into a startup first uh, via non-technical route, but then you also pursued engineering and broke in via technical route. Mm -hmm. So can you also contrast that as you answer the question? Yeah, I think you're asking for a piece of advice that I would give to someone. On either journey. Yeah. What's nice about... The going the path of the unknown is really the unknown, the, the chance encounters that occur. And if you're kind of, I think one, you should like try to think about yourself in five years or in 10 years and like, how do I get there? And sometimes it's murky. And if you were to stay on a, a common path, you know, it's very clear. You can see the ladders in front of you and you kind of know where you're going. But when you jump off that train, it's murky. But what's great about that is you do, it's sort of like this journey of, uh, you know, the hero's journey where you don't know what you're going to find when I left Morgan Stanley, did I know that two years later I'd be running an office in Europe and traveling Europe? Absolutely not. That was like the farthest thing from my mind. And it was the most incredible opportunity ever. So that was incredible. And then I think if your advice as you're making the transition towards something more technical, try to make something. It almost feels like a platitude sometimes where people are like, oh, you need to just build something. And then you're like, I don't know how to build. Like This is not helping me at all. But you can find tutorials and things to like make a simple game, bring something to life, you know, find something you're interested in and, and try to recreate it. Like it's something simple, like, like an asteroids type game. There's so much stuff behind the scenes to make that thing happen. Find that thing for you, bring it to life. For me, it was making that little flashcard iPhone app. That's when it, the dots started to get connected. So I want to say like make something, but I also know how frustrating that is. But, you know, find something you like and try to rebuild it or recreate it. That process of like rebuilding. There's a website you like. Try to rebuild that website. Sure. Uh, and that's I actually did. a great point because with HTML and CSS, you could just look at the source code. So the worst case scenario, if you're hitting a roadblock, just you could 
click a button in your browser and then you'll get to see what the brow- what the answer is. And then next time you build another project, you already know that trick and you could apply it. So. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, it's almost like cheating. It's like, it's awesome that that's just yeah. available for you. Yeah, and you could copy some cool button or toolbar and just add it to your website. That could be a great start. Yeah, and, and last question. Can you like share one online resource that you found the most useful or a few online resources? I know you said like a lot of the resources you follow were like the classic things to learn JavaScript, but a lot of people don't know what the classic things are or whatever. Yeah. So I think two, I mentioned this before, but two good book series are You Don't Know JS and then Eloquent JavaScript for learning JavaScript. And if you're trying to get into a bootcamp or some sort of front end role, though, I think those are fantastic. Interview prep, there's a couple websites, but I think just obviously the Wikipedia entries for the data structures are like really fantastic resources. So when you're doing interview prep, when you're working on toy problems and things like that, you know, don't be afraid to go to Wikipedia and look that stuff up. And then I'm a fan of uh, printed books. So I, one of the things I was, one of the two bags I had was filled with like 28 printed books that I didn't even have any time to read, but I'd be lugging them around to each place because it brings me like comfort to have these printed books. And I'll say it again, but like the Big Nerd Ranch books are fantastically written. It's kind of like a funny tone, but each chapter as you go through, you're extending this basic application. And I think that's a really nice way to go about learning. It's learning as you're building, and that's really fun. And then maybe the final thing that makes it a little bit easier to really grok programming was I played with processing when I was at Morgan Stanley, and processing or like P5JS is a really great language library for visually creating code. So you know, I think one of the things when you're first learning to code, you're like coding in a terminal and you're printing things. And like it's cool to make that happen, but it's also hard to like feel like you're making something. And processing is great for, you know, it's like kind of like a digital sketch pad. And I would use that to do these interactive drawings and diagrams and things like that. And I felt like I was making something really cool. So if you're at all like creatively inclined and trying to figure out programming, starting with P5JS, starting with processing is a really fantastic way to do it. There's this book, Nature of Code by Daniel Schiffman. And he also does these, uh, he does these amazing YouTube lectures. I think it's called Coding Rainbow or something like that, kind of like Reading Rainbow. And he's just a silly, goofy guy teaching you how to make awesome things with your computer. I mean, what, it's great. It's just, what's better than that? That's amazing. I guess uh, that kind of wraps up our interview. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Uh, you on any social media, like GitHub, any of that? Yeah, my handle on Every bit of social media that I can grab is what rocks, W-H-A-T-R-O-C-K-S. Mm-hmm. It's a translation of Georgetown's motto, Hoya Saxa. So you can find me on Twitter, on GitHub, on Instagram, at what rocks. Awesome, awesome, man. Thanks for coming by. We'll guys, this is awesome. Yeah, thanks we'll a lot, have man. All the thanks. Links. We'll where, have to where, have you on again. Where are you guys breaking into next week? <laughs> Yosemite. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll be at Yosemite. Oh, weekend before July 4th. Nice. These guys' birthday on Independence Day. Are so. you going to record out there? I've thought about we'll that. See. We're going to have 30 people with us, so we I don't could think that's potentially idea. record at the top of Yosemite. And we have some people that just broke in, which would be interesting. Very so. cool. Yeah. Well, good luck, guys. All right. Yeah, thanks, sure. thanks, thanks for having me, Charlie.